lot of people say, hey, I want to open in May. And that 99.98% of the times never happens. Timing is is never going to be in your side. I remember going in, looking at this beautiful uh, La Marzocco with this beautiful grinders and, and amazing coffee, tea, pastries. And I was just curious. So I, I said like, hey, uh, so what's your 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 filtration system? Like, my, my filtration what? And I'm like, oh my goodness. Welcome back to another episode of the Nomad Barista podcast. I'm your host, Brody Vissers, and I seek out coffee professionals, coffeepreneurs around the world who have really paved their own path, nailed their niche, and designed their own lifestyle around what they love. So today I sit down with Gabriel Navarro, a Toronto-based coffee consultant and longtime friend of mine since my Toronto coffee days. I also see him as a mentor over the years, always inspiring me to push the boundaries of what's possible in the world of coffee. We chat about what it means to be a coffee consultant in its different forms, the most important things to pay attention to when opening a cafe, how to position yourself for success as a coffee professional, even from the early days in your career, and a range of other topics. This episode is brought to you by Wakako, portable coffee makers. I've been using their handheld espresso brewers on all my travels, from the Picopresso for cafe quality double shots to the Nanopresso, which has adapters for ground coffee or even Nespresso style capsules to mix things up. Great for a relaxing brew in the woods or a quick shot on a long bike ride. Check out more of Wakako in the description. All right, let's get into it. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for, for the invite. Gabe, Gabriel, what is a coffee consultant? What the heck does a coffee consultant do? Uh, it is uh, it is most definitely a niche um, because anyone can be a coffee consultant. I, I just decided that I wanted to do that for a bit, like more into it and, and like take time to, to figure that out because um, in, in my, in my career, like uh, I saw the need of, uh, of a lot of people not knowing what they were doing when they were going into, into coffee, uh, especially not knowing that it was supposed to be a business, uh, more than I'm going to be doing coffee all day. I'm going to be, uh, testing this, testing that. And like, well, yeah, how about, uh, your cost of goods? How about, uh, your taxes? How about this, this, and that? Um, and, um, it was it was just a need. Like I, I remember uh, in in Toronto, the coffee shop is not open anymore. But I remember going in and and, and looking at this beautiful uh, La Marzocco and uh, with this beautiful grinders and and amazing coffee, tea, pastries, and I was just curious. So I, I said like, hey, uh, so what's your 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 filtration system? Let me see your filtration system. And like my my filtration what? And I'm like, oh my goodness, like how how can you well i just hooked it up to the wall and hooked it up to the plumbing and it's ready to go it's like well no and then start explaining with with the little knowledge that that that, that at the time I, I i had like for us uh, as as baristas as people behind the bar that's that's something that is crucial so uh that might be coming back to like my one of my favorite books is like uh uh like whatever coffee from from uh senior colonna like it it literally if, if you want to nerd out i had to really like three times um and unfortunately there's not a lot of copies around there anymore but it, it was very interesting to understand how how yeah you can have the best coffee but if you don't have the proper water or a good water it's gonna go to the drain like it's it's not gonna be good and, and it kind of opens your eyes once once you start nerding out and getting into it uh i think that's one of my favorite uh uh coffee books in 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 uh 
I, I've, I've read a lot and I've, I've tried to inform myself a lot, but that one in particular, every time I read it, it's like, ah, I understand that. Like, okay, uh, I need to have this filtration and I need to consider magnesium and zinc and, and sodium and, and all this stuff that a lot of people don't, don't, don't consider to the point that I've met in my travels, a lot of people that play with the filtration system to the point that they know the coffee that they have and they know that if they add a little bit more, if they let zinc pass or if they let uh, a little bit more sodium pass, it will change completely the profile of the coffee towards what they want. Um, so I, I, I find that book one of the most interesting books ever. Yeah. Water for Coffee by uh, by Maxwell Colonna Dashwood. Yeah. I yeah. I made it through the first you know few pages, I think. And I had to, yeah. I put it down for a bit, but it was someone lent it to me so I didn't get to really continue. But in talking with uh, Maxwell, as some people listening will know, uh, on one of the previous episodes, he goes into a lot more of the the details of not only the you know water for coffee, but also the process of getting that book out. And uh, well, at least he told me that it it gets a little bit more uh, of an easier read on the later half of the book. So I have to <laughs> have to go back and kind of uh, revisit my my science. But it's so true what you're saying. There's a lot of um, little tweaks, you know, I think uh, that a coffee business can make in the early stages, especially like what what year was that when you started kind of consulting people? Consulting? Probably like uh, six, seven years ago, approximately. Yeah. Um, I had a such an amazing job at uh, a members club. And uh, after that, there was nowhere else to to go to transcend. So um, I uh, sorry, coffee came to my lap. And uh, they're like, you know, coffee, you should be able to like, figure this out. I'm like, absolutely. Like, I had no idea. Like, oh, it's it's pretty much opening a coffee shop. But the difference is that you're helping people open uh, a, a concept. So it's not really yours, you're helping them open and you, you need to understand that. Yeah, no matter how much input you want to put in and how much personal uh, ideas and those kind of stuff, this is what the client needs. And, and that I, I feel that that's that's one of the, the the important things about being a consultant is like okay you need to share your knowledge you need to share what you know how you know uh, your contacts uh, you know how to do it but at the end of the day is there a coffee shop so I, I don't want this machine I'm like well but this is the best machine for your budget no I want this other machine it's like okay we'll make it happen uh, so then you need to work with that you you need to like adapt a lot uh, to to what your client needs. You can suggest, you can uh, let them know this is not a really good idea. Um, and I put my foot down sometimes with with some of the clients, like this is not a good idea because this is going to provoke this, is going to uh, end up in, in, in this and you're going to be paying this much. So once you explain a little bit more to the client, like, hey, this is not a good idea because this, this and that, not just because, oh, no, because it's a horrible machine. Like, no, this is the background be, be behind it, right? So, um, yeah, it's uh, I, I got into it because... It, yeah, seven, uh, approximately seven years ago, seven years ago. And uh, as I said, like, uh, I had a couple of, uh, of uh, uh, clients at the time that were very interesting. And uh, like, uh, I, I was also hired by Tokyo Smoke at the time. Um, and we started doing cuppings and training people. And then they opened the first location, then the second location. And um, the, the owner at the time, he ended up calling me every time that, hey, there's a coffee shop that I really like. And, and I want you to come and check it out. Like, is it for sale? Like, no, but just come check it out. So I will go in, uh, I will get a coffee. I will try to uh, uh, scout for like uh, what filtration system they have, the espresso machine that they have, how old the machine was, grinders, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and pass on the information. And 
two to three weeks later, I will see like new Tokyo smoke coming. Like, oh my gosh! Like, it was uh, it, it was crazy. But yeah, yeah. And on a summary, seven years approximately. Yeah, that, that's kind of around the same time that I got um, my first consulting gig too. I might not have over the years done as many uh, consulting projects as you, but same kind of thing. I remember you know being here in Barcelona working as a barista, and this was actually right after kind of starting my nomad barista tour you know i had mm -hmm. i had planned out to go visit many different cafes around the world you know from japan and china and spain and canada and yeah, so i, I felt like okay i've uh, now visited many different cafes i've worked as a barista if there's someone who's even a few steps behind me but wants to get into to coffee i think i can you know put at least set them on the right path so it was a really interesting mm -hmm. experience to be able to you know help walk people through that uh what the first one for for me for example in particular where uh, this woman wanted to, she was negotiating with, you know, some bigger uh, commercial brands, maybe like Illy or Lavazza, and they were going to give her this machine, they're going to give her that. And, and I'm like, yeah, if you if you want to do uh, a cafe concept properly, and you want to do something different, and you want to complement the, you know, amazing tea program that you're passionate about, and that you're really excited about serving all these nice cakes and stuff. There's, mm -hmm. there's some really great local roasters here and i think that's going to set your business apart so that was yeah that was really cool and, and inspiring for me to know that there's opportunities to just do these little tweaks and like you yeah. know you inspire someone to maybe take things a little bit further and for some it might feel like a risk you know that they're that oh i'm, I'm going to be spending more on coffee and people are not going to appreciate the extra investment or they, they're not going to notice the, the difference in the in the quality but actually people do, right? And and you hear yeah. the reports later on a few months after they open and you know, a year after, you know, people keep coming in like, wow, you have the best coffee in the neighborhood. You know, I love coming back here. You're so unique. And those are the, you know, those are kind of like the the testimonies or the the positive stories that the really reassurance. Encourage. Yeah, that it works exactly. Out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Uh, do, you, do you have any sort of like uh, horror stories from uh, different projects that you've worked on or or projects that you've worked in that um you know some major failures uh, that you remember so far failure failure like the the, the thing is that I, I committed myself to uh once i start with a client they're always going to be my, my client it doesn't matter what like i i never saw it as a as a pain of course we need to make money but i never saw it as a uh every follow-up i need to like uh, send an invoice or whatever like i will just go and check it out and like hey we're, we're struggling with this oh change this change that call this person uh, uh get in touch with so and so um but uh there's been situations that at the end of the day it ends up being a business and in business there's people that really like you and there's people that don't like you at all because of what you're doing um again you need to understand that being a consultant, you consult for the customer. You don't consult for the roaster that is coming in. You don't consult for the tea that is coming in. And a lot of the time, especially in this industry, when you get to know a lot of people, because I've been in the industry for a long time, um, you get to know people and people get to know what you do and and and, and all that. And um, there's people that don't like that they're not being chosen, for example. So you start losing friends and losing uh, 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 acquaintances in the, in the industry. Um, uh, horror stories in, in, in a generalization, uh, there's been customers where, where, uh, and that was one of the, one, one, a recent one, just, just after the, the, the pandemic, uh, like the stronghold, like pretty much a couple of years ago where, 
this small cafe in, in, in Toronto wanted to like uh, be a good thing, like a big shot, right? So they invested in a little bit in the machine and and uh, they end up uh, screwing a lot of uh, uh, like contractors and like, yeah, go ahead, do it. No, you know what? We never signed a contract, blah, blah. The moment that I started seeing that, I was like, I'm out of here. I cannot be responsible for this. I got in touch with the contractors. I got in touch with the coffee people, with the roaster, with the uh, cup supplier. And I, I, I said like, hey, this is happening. I don't think we should be doing business. And he ended up opening a concept, uh, not with my help. And I really hope that he's uh, he's doing well. I haven't I haven't touched base with that person uh, at all. But core um, uh, stories maybe with uh, uh, with timing, because a lot of people say, "Hey, I want to open in 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 like right now February. I want to open in 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 May." And that ninety nine point ninety eight percent of the times never happens. You always have, uh, oh, I need a permit here. I need a permit there. Uh, the machine is in in. Uh, a, in New York now, instead of, uh, of being in Toronto, or the machine got shipped to a different place, or they haven't finalized building the machine. So uh, timing is is never going to be in your side. It doesn't matter how much you plan it. You need to like budge for for a couple of months, three four months, just uh, just in case. A good uh, concept from scratch, uh, having the space and and the name and, and domain and everything, it takes approximately like nine months. So you need to let your client know it's going to take a year. Uh, for this to happen, but you put pedal to the metal and and until it get it gets done, and, and most of the times it gets done before uh, the ninth uh, nine mark uh, nine month uh, mark or or a little bit over. But uh, there's always something that that you're expecting and suddenly doesn't expect, or or the permit doesn't get approved, or then they realize that uh, the zoning is not the right zoning, so they're not going to be able to open a cafe. Those are the 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 worst uh, feelings and and probably the worst experiences I've uh, I've had. So you, um, you gave an example about, um, you know, pulling the pulling out of a project based on, you know, certain warning signs from a specific, you know, potential client. I'm curious if you have any, yeah, specific signs that come up. Let's say someone someone's interested in in starting to consult, or or maybe they're interested in potentially partnering with a, you know, an, a cafe owner or on a coffee project. Mm -hmm. You know, what are what are maybe some some signs or red flags that that would cause you to to say no to a, an intriguing project. Uh, it's it's a combination of a of, of a few things. Uh, number one, when you start as a consultant, obviously you cannot charge a lot because you don't have the experience. And in my example, I give a lot of stuff for free, a lot of consulting for free, and stuff that actually became a reality. And I was like, oh man, I should have just charged a little bit more. Uh, I, I should have just not done this or done that. At the end of the day, it's experience, and and it doesn't matter how much I can share with people; they need to experience it themselves, and uh, they cannot they cannot experience it through me. Um, but uh, red flags, obviously, uh, payments uh, payments are not going through, or they delay the payment. Um, if there is uh, a lot of uh, there, there could be changes, but if they start drastically changing. Uh, the concept from one day to another, that to me, it's also a, a, a red flag. Um, but uh, mainly the way that they deal with, uh, with, with, with people, you, you cannot, you cannot see it. Like if they're not treating the contractor right and, and uh, they're trying to avoid payments and, and, and all this kind of stuff. I, I rather walk away sometimes even with uh, uh, the saying, no, it's uh, it's extremely hard, especially at the beginning, at the beginning, you need to say yes to everything. Uh, you cannot choose and pick it. You need to you need to grow. You need to say yes to absolutely everything. But once you get to a point where 
you know uh, what's best and, and you know how how to develop a concept, uh, you need to start saying, no, I can't, I, I can't do it or I don't want to do it. I don't want to get involved. Like uh, I've turned down uh, a few big concepts where, yeah, the money could have been amazing, but it, it was going to be a nightmare. And I'd rather do three or four uh, coffee shops or maybe help with a roaster or uh, a current hotel that needs help with the, their their coffee program to uh, play with the big guys because usually the big guys like the coffee and donuts or the 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 burgers with the M like they're they're very they have their own ways of doing things and at the beginning there's not a lot of clarity and then it's like okay well where's my check uh, sixty days and like sixty days yeah it says here in tiny tiny words that's another thing have everything in paper create contracts, download them from the internet. Uh, there's a very generic uh, uh, contract that you can find on, on online that just protect yourself. Everything on paper is better. Handshakes, we're not there anymore. You need to have everything in paper, everything legal, because uh, I've also had that at the I had that at the beginning where I will, I will, they hired me and I start sharing a lot of information and having meetings with them and going to the space and blah, blah. And suddenly they say that, you know what, we're not going to do it. Uh, three months later, um, they pretty much opened. So uh, it was like, well, I thought that you said, oh, yeah, we decided to 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 open. Like, well, uh, what about me? Like, I helped you a lot. Like, yeah, and we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. So that's why it doesn't matter if you're a, a new consultant or you're trying to get into this business or you're old in this business, always have it under under control with a with, with a little contract, even a paper, like a blank paper. It says, I commit to this, this and that. Uh, the client commits this and that signature, sign here, take a copy, take a picture and send it on email. That's, are lucky that's how you can protect yourself. What's that? People are lucky now because uh, we have chat GPT. You can just ask, you know, for different <laughs> generic exactly. contracts. You know, obviously you want to back, so you know, back it up uh, <laughs> or or match it, you know, confirm that it's a legitimate phrasing and stuff like that. And always work with a lawyer if you can. But, you know, at least that's a good starting place. If you're just stuck, you're a little bit, um, you know, behind on on getting communicating what what you want the conditions to be. And it's like, hey, let's. Let's let's check check Jack, Chat GPT um, or of course there's a, a ton of different templates out there too. Um, yeah. But what what would be like you know you said you've learned to say no to certain things. Is there any specific thing that now if someone comes to you and they say hey I want to do this this and this? Have you been able to refine your niche enough where you're like hey look this is a really cool project yeah. better for someone else? Yeah yeah exactly and and I can I can direct them to to someone else that does probably the same thing as I do in a different level. Um, my focus is, is not necessarily specialty coffee. It's, it's growth in coffee. So if, if there's a, a switch or a change, or let's say a big chain wants to make a difference in the coffee industry and they want to start uh, adventuring themselves into uh, serving better coffee, having a better flow, that's, that's an improvement, improvement that I see valuable. And I will say yes to that. But if suddenly uh, someone tells me, Hey, uh, we're a commercial, uh, chain, uh, with a bunch of coffee and we want to open, uh, several concepts that look like we are a specialty coffee. Uh, I will have to say, no, I did it once and I do regret helping them. 
um, because it, it's just smoke and mirrors and it, it, it doesn't really benefit absolutely anyone. Um, my, my niche or, or what I like doing is, is focusing on, on specialty coffee. Um, again, there's a lot of baristas and a lot of coffee people that, that might have a lot more experience than I do in, in, in when it comes to, to profiling, when it comes to cupping, but I've been able to surround myself where I can pick up the phone and, and face them with someone or, or call them. It doesn't matter if they're in Barcelona, if they're in, in Calgary, if they're in, in Korea and Brazil and Colombia and Mexico, uh, I'll be able to ask and just say like, Hey, I have this question. I don't know how to do, uh, I don't know how to even work with this uh, variety of coffee that it seems that I cannot dial in properly. Uh, for example, I remember uh, calling, I was in Mexico city doing a cupping and uh, there was something really weird with some of the coffee. I FaceTime Cole. Hey Cole, this is happening, man. Like, no man, you need to change the grind setting, blah, blah, and all this kind of stuff. Boom, 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 done. Like, Oh, wow. Um, because of I, the I feel that variety, yeah, specific variety. Like that's cool. Uh, not not because I I like Cole and and I respect him, but he's a guy that I will call and and or even Kay from 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 Java, uh, I will call them and and or text them saying like, hey, this variety, what what's up with this variety? Oh, it's gonna taste like this. It's gonna look like this. It's gonna taste like this with milk. Uh, try to do this. Expose it to like, how do you come up with all this kind of stuff? Well, they're trained. They they have a better training, but. The advantage that I've had uh, uh, over the years that I've surrounded myself with uh, with people that know things that I don't and can focus on other things that I'm not going to be focusing on. So it's not only delegating, but trusting in, in people's expertise where I can focus myself in, in the business side of things, for example. So, um, yeah, that was, that, was a, that was an example. Like if, 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 I, if I don't know uh, things, I will most definitely call. But uh, one of the advantages is to... I've been lucky to surround myself with uh, with with good people, with people that understand the industry, that have different backgrounds. Um, even I know that I can take the car and go go see Sam uh, at at his roastery and say like, "Hey, this is happening. Like, what do I do?" Like, I remember one time with my uh, with the coffee shops that I opened, I I I went to him like, "I, I don't know, like, Gabe, chill. You're not gonna make money until you're seven. So work it hard, do it, and you'll see that you're gonna be able like." A, and this is a guy that is, in my eyes, is very successful. Like has 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 changed the the industry in a way, it, my industry here in Toronto, in a way that it's well renowned. Coffee tastes good, and the guy's lovely. So I have the 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 trust and the uh, the freedom to just like send him a text or go visit him randomly, saying like, "Hey, man, I I have this problem. Like, how do I how do I solve this?" Um, the same way that other people come to me saying like, Hey, Gabe, I have this, I'm like, Oh, you can do this, this and that. Um, but it, it's about experience and, and surrounding yourself with the, with the, with the right people to, to kind of coach you. So that's Sam James coffee bar for people who aren't uh, up on the Canadian coffee scene, but yeah, Sam, uh, you know, has it dialed. He's got a really great, um, you know, so, yeah. array of, of different coffee shops around Toronto and, it was one of my probably one of my first influences too. Back when it was their roaster was like cut coffee, really cool, oh, yeah. you know, indie hipster branding, um, and they they're still still rocking it. But I wanted to kind of like yeah go back in time a little bit as you mentioned in the early days and and being inspired by some of the some of the pioneers in the specialty coffee space. Like what got you? Maybe you can walk us through a little bit of your journey in coffee. What got you into specialty coffee? And then, you know, some of the jobs that you've done along the way into consulting up until okay. today, 
you know, that that could take uh, hours, I'm sure. We've had this conversation no, several no, no. times. We'll, but... we'll, we'll summary. <laughs> we'll summary. Don't even worry about that. Um, uh, my first encounter was uh, uh, actually in Italy. So when I was living in Mexico City, I had a, uh, a design firm. And uh, one of our clients, one of our customers, were uh, a roaster from Italy. It was a chain. And there's no specialty coffee in, 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 in Mexico at that time. Like we're talking about almost 20 years ago. And, um, well, I'm talking about like, uh, uh, like 14, 13, 14 years ago, but it, there, there was nothing like the coffee that you will get will, will be cafe de olla. That is a combination of unrefined brown sugar with cinnamon and it's cooked, uh, in a big clay pot with, um, uh, a bunch of hot water under the fire. So that's a common thing to drink. Uh, also, there's Nescafe, like instant coffee. That's very, very common. And as Mexicans, we drink coffee morning, day, and night. Um, but this customer in particular, they were starting to do something that I've never seen before. That they're doing latte art, and they were doing espressos that I didn't have to put a lot of sugar in it. And this is commercial coffee. Like it's, uh, it, I don't know if I can say the brand, but uh, it, it, it was it was commercial coffee from Bologna, and. I remember the, the there was a little bit of changes in the in the direction of the of the company that the guy that was taking over was the son of the was the son of the owner. He was my same age, so we took over all the graphic design in Mexico. They liked it very much. They flew us to Italy, and he made a Chemex for me. I've never seen a like a it looked like science. And the beautiful thing about it is that he was not making his own coffee. He was making uh, coffee from the UK. I don't remember the brand, but um, he was making coffee from the UK and it was Ethiopia Sadamo. And he's like, you need to try this. So I tried it black, no sugar, no cream, no nothing. And it's like, why does it taste like blueberries? Like, what, what, why is that? It's like, well, this is specialty coffee. I want to I wanna start getting into it without affecting the, the, the line of work that we have. I don't think it's going to happen, but this is what I like. So it, it that, that was my first experience with coffee that uh, an owner of a massive brand uh, around the world, now, now they're everywhere. They're in Dubai, they're in, in, in Korea, they're in uh, uh, Eastern Europe and Paris. Like they're in a lot of places in, in, in the world. And uh, it's the same thing. Like you you go in and, and you listen to the difference between going in a, in a coffee bar in, in Rome and Via Nazionale versus going to one of his coffee shops. You just put the two euros down, slide it in, wait for the barista to see you and then get served uh but he has been doing uh even today he has been uh, growing in a in a very well designed path but that was my first experience and then uh when i came to canada i moved to um uh to Kelowna in, in british columbia and there was nothing I, I wanted i wanted that taste again there were i wanted to to experience that again and then i started doing some research uh vancouver was growing but the 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 coffee industry was uh in toronto was in montreal so uh, we moved to Montreal, sorry, we moved to Toronto. And of course, at the time, I'm talking about like 2010, 2011, um, you have uh, in Toronto, you have uh, like Pilot, you have uh, uh, Sam James, you had uh, R Squared, uh, you, you had a lot of brands, Thor, Espresso Bar, and Dark Horse. And um, I started dropping out resumes and no one was calling back. No one was giving, giving me a, an interview. So what I did, I did a, a very particular resume for each coffee shop. I, I did a design. I put their logo on top. I, I wanted to. I wanted them to see that I was interested in working there. Um, so I was fortunate enough to get hired at uh, Thor's Bar, where I had my first uh, uh, specialty coffee experience. 
And the reason why is because those guys are very uh, design oriented. Like uh, uh, one of the owners, Patrick, he has this eye for like certain details that will change the entire room. So that's why Thor and Odin and 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 uh, all, all these concepts that they opened, they were very well designed. Very, uh, they, they like the Norwegian or Nordic uh, um, uh, style. And uh, so I got hired there and I learned so much. He was so hard on me because I had no no experience. He literally will grab my hands and like, this is how you steam milk and it cannot be harder than this. Okay, I made an espresso. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Uh, with all that practice, and I was, uh, I was the only barista... Uh, in my shift with him, or I could, uh, I, I would be on my own. Uh, like it, it was that pressure that he just threw me to the fire. And thanks to that, probably that has been the best training that I've had. Um, after that, I went to experience uh, helping opening uh, coffee shops as a barista with uh, uh, another uh, small cafe that is in in Riverdale. And uh, I learned a lot from the from the owners at that time. And like, no, uh, we're gonna get IKEA. And we're going to set it apart and that's going to be our bar. And they literally were working day and night with me. No, I with them, sorry. Um, they were working day and night, like drilling and building and doing things their own, their own way because they were trying to save money. That was another thing that I didn't realize. Like, oh man, you need to actually like break your hands in order to get something. Like, it's not just like, oh, I'm going to hire a contractor and build it up. It all depends on the budget. Uh, after that, I went to work. Uh, uh, with another friend of mine uh, that gave me a job at the time, uh, Samir from Fahrenheit. And I learned a lot. Like if you want to talk nerds, Samir is, is one to also talk to like uh, at the time uh, there were only like, I don't know, you go into a coffee shop and they will have uh, the espresso grinder, decaf grinder and drip. And then you go into Fahrenheit and you find espresso number one, espresso number two, espresso number three, decaf, drip, and uh, grinding for uh, uh, potovers. And then I was like, what is this? Um, and uh, dialing in in the morning, I wouldn't even drink coffee for the rest of uh, the rest of my, my shift or the day. Um, it was it was it was intense and and they were completely different. We're talking about uh, uh, he has a blend of Diablo that is a combination of Ethiopia and Brazil. Then he had Colombia and he had Ethiopia. So you need to identify those. One thing that almost no barista does is drink water. If you drink water, you be able you you can't be able to to switch in between um in, in between uh, uh blends. Um after that I also worked with uh, an amazing company that is not open anymore but uh, Tokyo Smoke invested in them. Let's call it that way. Um uh, R squared. Um they were amazing people and I learned business from them. Uh because all the owners were working shifts uh to to be able to save uh to save money um i also help uh, another friend of mine that now he has a, a a coffee shop in the uk in london uh Leith, he opened another concept in 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 toronto at the time so i was opening opening at, at his coffee shop and then i was closing at r squared so i was working all day and i did get and gain a lot of experience because you're working with coffee all day and uh six days a week i wanted to uh get a little bit of money because my, my first baby was coming in. And um, after that, with all that experience, uh, I got uh, poached by uh, Soho House in Toronto. And I was working as a barista for five, six months. And at the time, the director of uh, North America comes in and he's like, hey, can I get a coffee? Without me knowing who he was. And I, I treated everyone the same way. 
it didn't matter if they were like a celebrity or not, like you will get the same treatment, respectful treatment from me. And um, because it's like a, a membership for uh, the arts. So if you're a singer, actor, uh, if you're in graphic design, if you're an entrepreneur, like that's the the space to network for sure. Uh, it's a fantastic space to network. So I I made him a cappuccino with uh, uh, and I drew a teddy bear on top. And the reason why, sorry, the reason why uh, he was curious about it is because uh, so as you cannot take pictures, you're you're forbidden to take pictures. Of course, there's people that sneak a picture here and there, but it got to a point where everyone was posting the latte art that I was doing there, as if they were in any any coffee shop. So the owner of the company flagged it and and he asked the GM not to like like to be more vigilant about that. And it's like yeah, I cannot stop Gabe. Like he can do whatever he wants. Where our sales are are getting there, so I don't care. So the the director comes in and I didn't know, but at the same time, someone else was hired in the UK. And we were both at the uh, on par. Like I was doing my job, he was doing his job, and they offered me the the the, the North American uh, like coffee quality control of North America. So I had to go to all the Soho houses uh, uh, to make sure that they had the proper equipment training. It was the, the first year, Brody. I traveled so much that it's not even funny anymore. Um, there was I a point st- where I said, sorry yeah. to interrupt. I just want to stop you here because, um, before you go on, I wanted to go back to that very specific moment because it seemed like a little bit of a sort of like this tipping point or this, um, you know, this moment where you were able to take a big step, but mm-hmm. you didn't even necessarily know it, which was working in a few different cafes around Toronto, gaining a lot of great experience, learning about coffee, learning about business. What was it that attracted uh, the people who hired you at Soho House, how did you get that specific project? You said they poached, they poached you. And obviously, this started to lead into some bigger things, which yeah. you're about to describe. How, how did that uh, happen? Well, how did you position yourself? Well, there was a uh, uh, before building the the Toronto house, they had an office very close by to so to to our squared. And, I, and again, everything, everything, and I've noticed everything in life is about being there. It's about being lucky or not. It's about Every situation, every opportunity that presents yourself, just take it. Like, it doesn't matter where this opportunity goes. There's always a good, uh, it might be at the end, maybe something goes wrong or whatever, but you have the experience. You gain the, that experience. You gain that connection. You 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 gain that opportunity. And uh, some of the people that were working in the office at the time that was very close at uh, R Squared, they noticed the catering that I that I give. Like, you know, I'm, I'm Mexican. And, and whenever you go to Mexico, any part of Mexico, the catering that they have, the the service that they have is completely different than you can find in, in, in Canada, in the States, in Europe. Um, they're still, still respectful, but we tend to go out of our way to to cater, to make sure that you're comfortable, that you need anything else. Um, can I help you with anything? Like, it's just that. I can yeah, attest to that. Service. It, it was like a culture <laughs> shock for me, you know, traveling to Mexico or in my experience, Colombia specifically, yeah. where people are very, very polite. They're very welcoming. They give you attention right away. Um, yeah. And, you know, not to name any specific countries, but there's other places that have gone where, where that's not the case. So it's, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm sure that just from your upbringing, you know, just uh, oozed out of you when you're working mm-hmm. in the in the coffee business. So they they found that that uh, well they 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 liked the way that I was giving them service, uh, not only making coffees for them, but remembering their order, remembering 
And a lot of people do that, especially if you're behind the bar. You tend to remember your customers. You tend to remember what they drink. Sometimes they will come in and you're already making their coffee for them. So it's a surprise like, oh, am I predictable? Like, well, not necessarily, but I want to cater to you. I want to, I want you to feel comfortable. And it's not necessarily that we're looking for the extra tip or the extra money out of it, but it's just a service that came out at the time because of my cultural uh, cultural background. So um, plus every time that I will go in, uh, they will even ask me like, hey, what do you think about this machine? Oh my gosh, I hate that machine. You need to get something. If you're opening something, you need to get something better like Lamasoko, this, this and that. And they look at each other like, oh shoot, we got the uh, the electress, no? Just for 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 following the concept of the of the soul house at the time. Um, what was the yeah, that's how, like what uh, why was that unique for them um because they they were just copying and pasting the the the, the look of the uk so uh so houses so the they had those machines because uh, almost 20 something years ago they opened with those machines so they continue with the look it's 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 mainly a look until uh my boss in the uk and myself we decided to make a switch and it became uh, like a vintage thing for them yes Yes, they they in some places they still have them, uh, but in very like uh, like special rooms or or whatever you have a meeting. Oh, they have an Electra there, and they will send the barista. They'll make coffee for you there, and and that's it. It's just the the look, the look of it that that that, that they like the most because there was no there was no program. And uh, my boss at the time and and myself, he started hiring people in the UK to to help him out, and in North America, it was just always me. It was just just me. I, I slowly but surely I, I created my my team and and that took uh, like two more years because we're talking about uh, big distances between and, and time zones as well so uh, new york miami chicago la and setting plans for other openings and 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 stuff like that it was it was it was quite the quite the travel yeah no for sure um so soho house it led to led to you traveling around north north america which is something that you didn't necessarily do before as a barista, right? You're a little bit more. And, and I don't, I think it's really hard for any, anyone that is under a barista wage to do those kind of travels or, or even just in general, like you, you hear about roasters and you hear about uh, uh, green buyers, like they're the ones who need to go to origin. Right. Uh, but traveling the way that I did and, and the way that Soho house paid for everything and paid for my education. Like I, I got uh, the, at the time it was the SEAE. And uh, like the SEA, like especially uh, uh, of Europe, right? Uh, yeah, of Europe. And uh, because I, I got trained in, in Europe and I got all my bells and whistles, all the certifications and all this kind of stuff. Like we we trained ourselves and in, in, in to understand from doing an espresso, a cappuccino uh, to like uh, roasting profiles, like like very, very, very lightly. Uh, because we're behind the bar the, the entire time. Like I, I had to cover shifts in, in different places, different cities. Uh, I like being behind the bar to see if we could change the flow to make it faster, uh, more service. And it also helped that uh, I really liked my job and I really liked uh, making coffee and making those partnerships. I, th there were so many advantages, Brody, with uh, with Soul House that I cannot even, we'll have to be another podcast. But um, one of the biggest advantages that I had was uh, Espresso was married to the roaster on 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 the bar so in in toronto we had the mellow in in the states we had uh, uh intelligentsia fantastic customers but drip 
I didn't want to do or the mellow intelligentsia. So I start doing Sam James, Reunion Island. I start doing um, uh, George Howell, um, anywhere like Spy House, like anywhere that I can find a connection, I will start making that connection. And my network grew overnight because I was able to give someone else the opportunity to, to make a sale and to make a sale in Soho House at the time. Even today, a lot of people don't know who that what that is or 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 why you need to you need a membership or or suddenly you're outside and you see like a celebrity coming out like what is this place like well that's who they were catering to and that's yeah. what they cater to it's still so, it's still a bit under the radar but it's it's interesting yeah. how what you're explaining now in terms of even being able to curate the the coffee program and they trusted you to find you know the Obviously, it was a it was a launch pad for you and and your career and, yeah. and that stepping stone. But even just coming back to Soul House, because I go I go there now in in Barcelona, and it was interesting because for about a year or two, they actually switched to uh, a London based roaster, a little bit bigger that they could kind of grind. Um, yeah, it was grind, and and so they could make it you know a little bit more similar uh, around the shops. And there's obviously that. Uh, that consistency that they wanted to have recently, they switched back to a Barcelona based roaster. So it's interesting mm -hmm. how, you know, I don't know what the the nuance behind that decision is, but to me, it's interesting that they're able to kind of still, again, see coffee as this, um, as this local product as something unique. Uh, and I'm sure they do the same thing with wines, right? Let's say they have wines yeah. in, in Barcelona that are Catalan wines. So why not have, you know, coffee in Barcelona that's at least roasted locally? Um, so yeah, it's cool that you kind of set the stage, uh, for Soho house in terms of their coffee program. Yeah, it was, it was a, it was a great experience. And, uh, I was able to, to hire people in each of the houses that existed as coffee managers so that I can get in touch with them. Hey, you know what, uh, New York, we need uh, more scales or that's another thing that was really hard to implement because even at the time there was not a lot of coffee shops using scales. Like uh, only a few cafes in in Toronto and Montreal and in in New York that were using scales, um, and uh, I said like no screw it everyone has to have a scale so I got a scale for every uh, manager that was there so they could dial in and like start there. Eventually, we we bought scales for for all the bars, and I, I guess that helped a lot with my uh, current consulting because I was able to follow up on buying a, an espresso machine for the bar. Let's say that we were opening a, a, a new concept, a new Soho house. I was in charge of looking after the the coffee equipment. Okay, we need to get this espresso machine. We need to get this grinder. This filtration system goes down here. Um, no, down here we cannot get because there's going to be a garbage bin. Okay, move the filtration system over there so there's not a lot of, of things that we can play with gravity, blah, blah, blah. Um, the, the crockery, uh, so cups and spoons and glasses, we start putting in Cortado glass. So we introduced Cortado glasses, like the little Durilix uh, glasses. Yeah. Um, that was new for, for, for Soho. And, and uh, my, my boss at, at the time in, in the UK, he came up with a, with a list, with a picture, with a description, and also with a, with a manual where even it will show you the hand. You need to draw this like this. You need to aim it here, aim it there. And it, it came in very handy because we'll give that to the to the baristas or to the managers. And every time that I was there, there was training. No matter what, no matter who, always schedule a training, train everyone. Uh, and uh, after that, we'll we'll go back to 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 service. Whether it's before service or after service, there was always training happening. So I was there was a point where I will just come back to the hotel and and 
drink a little bit of water and literally just close my eyes, open up. Oh my gosh, it's 6am. We need to go open. It was, uh, it was a little bit hard on my, on my body, but uh, it was such a great experience. I did so much coffee. We made so many changes. Uh, we actually made, uh, we helped uh, the company profit on, on, on coffee that they consider it to a point that they bought grind uh, as a, as a roaster. And uh, I think in the UK, they still have it in, in, in the States, uh, they still have it as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was such a great experience. And, and after that, that's when consulting started. And, uh, that one was, was, was really hard because everyone wants to help, but no one wants to pay and creating the value that you bring into uh, a concept is really hard because you haven't done anything. You haven't proven yourself. And I was very lucky that Tokyo Smoke, um, also, uh, uh, sorry, coffee, like they gave me that opportunity and it went well. So, um, that was a big part of my resume where like, oh, you did so like, okay, absolutely. Let's, let's talk. And, and that opened a lot of doors. Uh, I had a lot of help, a lot of help to, to, to develop both things, uh, from roasters, from, uh, distributors, from, uh, uh, tea suppliers, from everyone. And it didn't hurt that they had the budget to to do a lot of stuff. So I was able to like balance the budget and, and not just overspend. So that's something that they liked. Uh, there were there were a few things that I, that that went really well at the beginning of my career that gave me the opportunity to work with renowned brands and people looking for me from from Europe, people calling me from Asia, from South America. That it, it feels good and and. I don't know, not only that, but have that opportunity to to fly to those countries and to do what you like and do what you love is 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 pretty good. Of course, there's there's headaches, but at the end of the day, it's it's extremely uh, it's a big satisfaction to to see a coffee shop opening where you had your hands on and you helped them. And at the end of the day, if they grow, you grow uh, as a person and also as a as a company, meaning that if if people see word of mouth and that's how I got. I got into consulting. It was word of mouth. It was not, I didn't have a website until like three years in, uh, into, into the, 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 the company. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's word of mouth. Like people, oh yeah. Who, yeah. Gabriel, Gabriel help us. I, uh, th there was a story with, uh, with fleets, uh, coffee. We opened, I have with a, with a concept where it's a, a coffee truck for the suburbs and they have two espresso machines. They have, uh, an oven, a keg for cold brew, a drip machine. It was a fantastic, uh, a fantastic thing. And the owner, uh, he he went to the LA Coffee Fest and started asking like, oh, this is great, blah, blah. I'm, I'm trying to do this. Do you guys uh, like, no, but it's funny they say there's a guy that lives in Canada. Uh, have you met Gabe? And have you met Gabriel? And like, no. Oh, I'll get you in touch. So he will get my email. And then uh, he came back to Toronto. He's from, he's from uh, the Toronto area. And uh, he went to pilot. And at the time, I'm like, yeah, we don't really do that. But have you met Gabe? And, and my name kept on coming out. And it's like, who's this Gabe, no? And he <laughs> found me on LinkedIn. He made the connection. We met. And and now the trucks are out there. And they have an app. And, and it's it's fantastic. Like, it, it was such a great experience. I had the opportunity to fly with them to, to, um, to Germany to close a deal with uh, a piece of equipment that doesn't exist in, in North America. It's uh, uh, called Uber milk and it dispenses. And this is, this is where, where, where Max Lona's book came in very handy because it talks about Zeroth and how uh, you need uh, uh, steam and water to create uh, uh, the, the foaminess of the, of the milk, blah, blah, blah. 
this one utilized the same milk to create the foam. So the milk was extremely sweet, very, very sweet. And, and you had, I had one of the best cappuccinos making that a machine made for me. I will pull the shot or the, 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 the milk in my pitcher. You can do a lot and all kind of stuff. And the sweetness that comes out of it, it's like, man, like it doesn't use water. It just uses the liquid from, from the, from the milk. It's, it's a nightmare to clean it, but uh, it was, it was worth the, the trip and the purchase. So how do you feel about the the new World Latte Art Championship decision? You you just said you had a no a comment. Lot, no comment. And that's that that's different, man. Like I I feel that, and again, this is just personal opinion where you're trying to test the skills of a barista, the skills of a professional, and I think that we are pushing the line by we as a, as an industry, we're pushing the line a little bit just to allow someone to sponsor with with big bucks. Um, I've competed and I never competed after that. I competed against a lot of really good people. Uh, and I, I don't think I ever had a chance, but the experience was, was crucial. Like it, it, it allowed me to be more encouraged and getting more into coffee and, and getting to know more people and training with more people. It, it is encouraging. And anyone that has competed in any competition can tell you that like after getting out of that competition, whether if you got in, I got disqualified, I went over time, um, compete or win or lose. Everyone's going to tell you the same thing. The experience that you gain from that event, even though it's a show, it's, it's literally a show. You just showing people like, Hey, my name is uh, Gabriel. I'm doing this coffee that I find interesting. And this is my espresso cappuccino and my signature drink. Thank you judges. Um, it is an experience. It allows you to to be more confident in what you're doing and to be more outgoing, especially when you're behind the bar and people get to know that, oh my gosh, you competed for the for the to be the Canadian representative. And Paul can can explain, Ben can explain like, oh, you were the the, the Canadian representative. Like you represented a country in a in a massive uh, in a massive show. And they both have been very close to winning. And it's it's very encouraging to see how the Canadian market is going. And, and I really hope that a lot of those roasters out there, a lot of those baristas out there, like it, they find that opportunity to, to allow and to sponsor baristas because baristas cannot really pay for this. Um, the ones that need to pay for it is, is obviously sponsors or, or, or the coffee shop or the roaster. Like there's, that's a complete different conversation, but um, coming back to, can you rephrase the, the, the question? Oh, I was just I was just finding it interesting the recent news about the the latte oh. competition specifically and how you know now they're using a machine as you mentioned with Uber Milk, uh, which I've seen in action at some shows. But this new machine, I, I don't even know which one it is. It's just it's interesting to see the evolution. And I also don't feel like I can make a comment because I I'm like a, you know self-professed uh, worst latte art uh, worst latte artist in the world. I've <laughs> tried many you times. Do really good onions. But it's uh, <laughs> not the onions, um, but it's, you know, it's, it's something that it brought a lot of lots of in general, as you, as you mentioned at Soho house, it brought a lot of attention to distinguishing specialty coffee. Right. And so mm -hmm. maybe these days you can go into most cafes and even if it's really terrible coffee, it might have some latte art on it. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's specialty, but back in the day, that was something that only specialty people really cared about. And so you could, it kind of became this yeah. distinguisher for a lot of people. Um, for me, I, I don't really, I don't really care because I don't compete in the, in the latte era, but, um, but it is interesting. I think also there's, there's always this balance too, when it comes to any industry, 
you know, how, do you want to push the industry forward and get it out to more people with a little bit more investment? Exactly. It all depends. It all depends on the target. Because, for example, like when you're talking about this competition, I think it's it's not valuable. Like it shouldn't be happening. But if you have, for example, fleets, they, they have right now five trucks. They need to pump close to a thousand coffees a day because they're outside the uh, Metrolink stations and 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 all kinds of stuff. So there's a lot of people coming in and out. They need to have their things faster, so they can make a a, a cappuccino or a latte in less than a minute without a peak, and button button button, and the quality comes out like perfect. They're using really good coffee. The 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 execution is is fantastic. It all depends on the target. It all depends on the market that you're trying to uh, get into. But if you have a specialty coffee shop, and even though you're busy, people will wait. People will wait because they know that they're what they're getting is quality. They see the baristas making it with their own hands. So I think I, I think that there's a as a fine line. And I don't want to say that the that they crossed it with with having a, a machine like that. That that's, again, that's just my personal opinion. There's no, there's no, uh, any other opinion of uh, like no one behind it. It's just my personal opinion. I think they should not be because you're testing the skills of the the barista, and it would be awesome if everyone had one of those machines at their coffee shops, and then they can be tested that way. But again, you're not given. Yeah, I'm gonna stop there, but I don't, I don't think they they should be doing it. No, but it's it's good to have these these conversations about different people's opinions, right? Because people who are so maybe still removed from that aspect of the industry or the industry itself um, might not necessarily be able to, to have their perspective. They haven't competed. They haven't worked as a barista necessarily. I, mm -hmm. as I mentioned, I still find it very, not only hard to pour the latte art, but actually to make the right milk, uh, you know, with the right microfoam and these kind of things, the right texture for pouring mm -hmm. is actually, it's a skill. It is a skill on its own. So to have those combined skills uh, in order to come out on top, I think, just makes sense. But, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, maybe like, I also agree with the idea of, of automation and how we can use automation as, you know, cafe owners, as baristas to provide that, you know, maybe, maybe it helps you provide that extra level of experience or service to the customer. Service. Um, Speed because at service. the end of the day, like none of this really matters unless you're selling coffees, right? So yeah, <laughs> you have to sell yeah. coffees in order to uh, incentivize the roasters to buy better coffee to incentivize the producers to produce better coffee. Um, but I'm curious if you, you know, we talked a little bit about the automation and, and where the coffee industry is going. Do you, can you anticipate maybe one or two things in the future of coffee now after having seen so many different cafes and, and helped uh, different coffee companies come to the come to the surface what do you think is is coming down the line i think it's it's a beautiful thing to have the manual machines of course there's machines now that they help you with volumetrics that they help you time certain things and they come in with the scales integrated there's a lot of technology that has been implemented in those those types of equipments in the pa in, in the past 10 years but i think that there's still a beauty about specialty coffee of having a barista involved and having a barista time and applying that knowledge into what coffee is. But I think that what's going to happen in the future, what I see that's going to happen in the future, it has to do with roasting. It has to do with the, the water quality. Um, roasters nowadays, they can they have a lot of uh, uh, equipment, a lot of uh, uh, programs, systems that allow them to have uh, a perfect uh, uh, a perfect roast or, or separating profiles like back in the day that there was not a lot of that and now with all this technology i feel that the, that the coffee 
in general has gotten to a point that I haven't really tried bad, bad coffee like 10 years ago. 10 years ago, you knew that I was like, oh, this is going to be horrible. But nowadays, like I've, I've received, a, a, I actually received a, a samples from a coffee in Guatemala, a roaster that's called Dusseldorf. Um, and when I got him, they're like, the packaging look a little bit old school. And I was like, I, I, in my mind already, I have a, a taste profile when I see a packaging, right? I opened it and I made some coffee at home or latte art, and it was fantastic. Like they, they started explaining, oh, we use uh, Cropster and we use uh, this other system and we implement, like there's more information out there uh, shared. And that's, I think that's the way that we're that we're going in, in, in more of a, uh, specialization, I'm, I guess, in 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 roasting and also with uh, with water. I think a lot of people have been uh, adventuring themselves into into water a lot more, to the point that I've seen competitors. This competitor in Quebec, uh, uh, she was like, "Yeah, I need to train. I need to do this, but I need to get the little sachets of uh, of, uh, of the powder. The uh, I don't even remember the uh, the third the way brand. water. Make that, yes, third way water." Uh, can you bring me some from Toronto next time you you come to to to, to Quebec? And they're like, people are getting into it. They want the quality. They want the 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 perfect taste buds. The, the sorry, the perfect notes. The perfect profile. And that is very encouraging. That there's and also it's very encouraging that a lot of young people are are taking over. Back in the day, it would be like, yeah, I'm doing baristaing until I finish my school, or I'm doing this and that because I cannot get another job. Or now people are looking into making a career in, in coffee, and I feel that that's where we were uh, headed to into so, a, 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 a bigger and better um, can I put it like a growth in, in, in coffee. Okay. So for, for you, just as a summary, it seems like getting back to almost back to basics, but doing it better. Right. So like yeah. better, like you got even probably something you didn't necessarily mention, but probably you could, you can infer like, just better quality green bean, but then of course, better quality roasting, and then better quality water. So it's it's kind of like this is this is coffee, but yeah. we can we can do it even better. And it's going to continue to to grow that way. I remember even like, coming back to competitions, I was the only competition I've ever competed in is the is the AeroPress. And I've since uh, sort of retired because I just got, I just got a little <laughs> bit uh, tired of getting out the first round. But I just remember, um it almost started to become like a a water competition because yeah. the only variable you could realistically change as opposed you know uh, in addition to of course bringing your own equipment is the water right so everyone has the same coffee but everyone was like changing their water or even putting their own water different minerals and stuff together third wave water reverse osmosis so it's interesting yeah. to see how much people put into that um as a as a way to to make their coffee better but yeah it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a crucial aspect for sure yeah for sure yeah i think um, that's that's where we're headed yeah okay interesting yeah we'll we'll only time will tell what happens in, <laughs> in the coffee industry <laughs> and what what direction we're heading but i think you know i see obviously see a lot more um a lot more people getting into specialty coffee or at least appreciating it whether they're nerds at home and buying all the fancy uh, ex expensive equipment um or like what you mentioned maybe just using the the basic equipment which i think mm -hmm. can easily get as good of a cup of coffee um as long as you focus on actually buying the good 
coffee, uh, beans, <laughs> the good roasts and the good water. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I have this opinion, I guess, even though I do a lot of photography and, um, you know, traveling with different coffee gear. And it's something that I, that I really appreciate is like using the good solid gear. That's, uh, that comes with me that I can trust, but yeah. ultimately it's, it's not that complicated. I think for me, I've definitely gotten more focused on the simplistic aspect, you know, like you said, the water, you know, getting it to like a good temperature using the tried and true brewers. Um, and, yeah, exploring the different origins. And, and one thing I wanted to mention, you you mentioned uh, roasting and how it's getting easier and how it's getting better. I've noticed over the years since I first started traveling and like the first coffee farm that I ever went to was in, in Mexico, as you know, in, in Oaxaca. And mm. since that moment, the amount of producing coffee producing countries that now have their own specialty coffee yeah, cafes, yeah. the roasters, like even the last year, one of the best coffees that I had was uh, Tropicalia in uh, in Bogota, in Colombia. One of you know amazing coffees, and of course Mexico City is uh, is booming. But even even some of the smaller you know smaller capitals around Latin America, and so yeah, I'm I'm really excited to see how those economies start to uh, grow and circulate within mm -hmm. within that those communities that have been previously just producing the coffee now they're also consuming and and they're outputting you know some really good final products like the roasted the roast beans or even the coffee in the cup at the cafes right yeah education and also thanks to the interest of the younger younger generations not old people like you and I well that's what I'd like to see as well in the in the producing countries because I think yeah especially coffee has always like maybe been more focused in the younger generation, as you mentioned, it was like, you work as a barista when you're in school, and then you go on and do something else. One of the challenges we're seeing in the producing countries is that a lot of the the younger people, they they decide they might start deciding to, to leave and maybe they go try to find a different job because the the family's coffee farm is really not making that much money. And they, they might go off and, and realize um, that they're also struggling to find a job in different places for different reasons. But um, this is something that I'm hoping that we see more and more of is that uh, there know. has been a change, Brody, and sorry to interrupt you. There, there has been definitely a change where, again, the new generations are taking taking over some of the I can speak from the, for the for the farms in Mexico that uh, the younger generations, the, the sons and daughters of, uh, of producers, they will go to school to study agronomy. They will go to school to study uh, business and they come back, they switch things around. And that's why we're starting to see uh, better fermentation. We're starting to see quality control. We're starting to see uh, uh, now, instead of just selling uh, to Mexico, it's like, oh, we're going to be selling to this uh, coffee um, uh, coffee buyer in, in Europe, in, in Norway, or this other coffee buyer in, in Toronto, or this other coffee buyer in New York. Like they're starting getting there because they have a better quality and better understanding of the ground, of the, of the, of the earth and, and of, of the, the, what they're cultivating. Right. Uh, to the point that even some of them have changed the, the, the water adding vitamins, adding like a bunch of different things. So the, the, the plants grow in a way that they're expecting them to grow. Fermentations, the amount of yeast that they're putting in, in certain um, tambos, I don't know how to translate the uh, bins, sorry, in certain bins um, versus like, I, I, I met uh, some guys in, in Oaxaca as well, where they have their farms from like sea level all the way to 2,500 meters above the sea level with the same variety but utilizing different fermentation and the amount of oxygen, like 
it just blew my mind that obviously they know what they're doing and they're trying to experiment and and it's like well how you know oh everything's already sold like we have everything already sold like it, it's going to asia it's going to europe it's going to north america like sweet yeah so i feel that they're 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 starting to 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 make a change in in the world and it's exciting it's exciting to 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 see a better uh, quality coffee and i hope that one day we get to a point where you can compare it might never happen it's just a dream but um, a, a good wine or a good scotch, a good whatever to like a really good coffee. Because uh, again, we still are not very well educated in coffee. We are educated in 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 wine and in other spirits. Um, but in general, in coffee, it's just a, a commodity that 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 comes in because you need to wake up. So uh, until we we surpass that that mentality, I think that we can get into a position where coffee can be considered a a special a special drink. So I know you've you've had a chance to open now after a few years of consulting, open your own cafe. Uh, at one point, you had a few different locations in Toronto. Um, I would love to talk about that maybe in the round two of this uh, this podcast yes. conversation. But <laughs> one thing I wanted to ask you is if you were to have your dream coffee shop concept, something that you didn't have to really worry about the money. You didn't have to worry about is this going to scale into like some crazy big business. What would be your dream cafe that if someone just told you here, do whatever you want, you can open, you know, in the next uh, few months, what would you do? Um, open a small shop, very tiny shop with a small kitchen so we can serve food. Uh, and a one group machine or like a, one single mud bar, a couple of putovers, and just have it as an experience. Coffee, coffee also should be an experience. Like at the end of the day, what I wanted to do with my coffee shops was, uh, anyone can go to any coffee shop. Uh, anyone can go to drink coffee anywhere. I wanted them to come to us because of the experience that we're that we're serving, um, the kind of coffee that we're serving, the way that we're serving it, the food that we're pairing with the coffee. Uh, like the little details, it has to be an experience, but it, it will have definitely have to be a small, small cafe, like a one man shop, two man, two man shop kind of thing. Uh, so we can cater to, to, to a proper experience. Yeah, that, that would be it. True Mexican hospitality. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's wrap it up. This is a question I love to, to ask is, um, if you were able to make a post that would go viral to millions of people, which is actually not, not that hard these days as it used to used to be maybe with uh, billboards what would that post convey what it could be a video it could be a photo what would you want to communicate to millions of people is it about coffee or or well it, it could be about coffee it could be about anything but yeah maybe coffee specific oh my gosh i have no idea like it could be um Honestly, it could be experienced in different different locations. Every every city does coffee in a different way. Um, travel for coffee because the water is different, the service is different, the costumes are different. It could be the same variety that you have in your in your hometown, but over there it's going to be tasting completely different. And, and it's that experience of knowing, oh my gosh, this is the same thing, but done with different people. And I don't know, it's just travel for coffee. I love it. Fits, uh, fits in with the Nomad Barista theme. <laughs> true, true. Yeah, I, I think that's great. I think, you know, even just touching on that a little bit, we, we've kind of moved away from the idea of, um, you know, tourism to experience different things 
especially mm. ironically when it comes to coffee because yeah. in the past you know you go to Ethiopia you get the Ethiopian coffee ceremony you go to Vietnam you get the cafe fin you go to Indonesia you might have a you know different experience um, mm-hmm. You go to Mexico, you get the the Mexican cafe de olla with the piloncillo oh. and the orange peel, etc. Cinnamon. Now it's kind of like, as much as I love the specialty coffee shops around the world, they end up sort of being a little bit similar, right? Because everyone's kind of been inspired by everyone else. You go to a shop yeah. in Toronto, you can get the same, you know, koji fermented uh, you know, Colombian coffees you can get in a place in Berlin. All of that's great. I think it's it's part of the growth process. Um, but there's mm. something there's something as well about maybe trying something more traditional. You know, try that little Turkish coffee. You don't know where it's from. It's okay. Let's let's see how it tastes next to these dates or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I agree. Yeah, it, it's true. It's like coffee. It's it's a bean. It's the same. It's 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 the same product processed and and done differently in different places. So that's why I find it interesting. Like if you were, if you have the opportunity of traveling for coffee, e- even among provinces here in Canada, or among states and in, in, in even just in North America, Mexico, states and in, in Canada, you can have the same roaster, the same beans, and it tastes completely different in a good way. Definitely. Thanks, Gabe. Appreciate it. Anytime. Let's, uh, Thank let's you so do much this for again. Where? How can people find you if if uh, if you wanted to share a little bit of your your journeys, a little bit of um, your consulting work, your current projects? Because I know you're always busy with a few different things. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm currently doing mezcal and and tequila, agave derivatives, and we have a coffee mezcal, of course, and, um, and mainly Instagram. Right now, I haven't been posting a lot, but uh, I'm I'm a little bit busy, but uh, it will come. It'll come. I'm I'm headed to a few different places in the next uh, few months, uh, moving some parts, and uh, yeah, you'll you'll see a little bit of an update as, as well. But mainly Instagram. I'll put your Instagram down in the in the description, <laughs> and we'll have to we'll have to talk a little bit more about Miskel uh, next time. I'm sure there's some people listening that would would find that interesting. So, thanks again. No, thank you, Brady. Take care, man. See you soon. See you soon. And one last thing before you hit the road, please leave this podcast a rating. And hit that follow button if you enjoyed it. That really helps us out here. And to support this show further, please check out our sponsors in the description with links also to the YouTube, Instagram, and Patreon. See you out there.